My name is Adrian Sykes and welcome to a series of very special podcasts in association with Google. Union Black is an online multi-format content series across YouTube and Google Arts and Culture, featuring a curated collection of videos, audio documentaries, podcasts, stories, and photographs. It takes us on a journey celebrating the contributions of black British music artists, creatives, professionals, and scenes. Told by the black British music community, these stories demonstrate the undeniable influence and impact of black British music and culture in the UK and beyond. This story and piece of content, the Black British producers behind Global Albums, is a series of podcasts that accompany the visual series with additional content that will spotlight a cross-generation of Black British music producers who have had an international impact. In this episode, we talk to Kwame KZ Kweamar, one of the next generation of successful Black producers making waves on the world stage. KZ talks about working with his idols, being part of one of Black culture's major moments, and winning the BAFTA, as well as the influence of his family. Here's KZ's story. Welcome to another episode in the Google series of Black British Producers Behind Global Albums. And today, I'm very honoured to be joined by KZ, the amazing young producer that is doing some wonderful work. KZ, thank you for joining us on thank the series. Thank you for having me, man. You've done some incredible music in your very short life. Nines, Stormzy, Wretch, Steph London, Soundtracks. You're a BAFTA winner. Man. We're going to get into all of that because it's an incredible catalogue for a man so young. But what I want to really dig into at the beginning is, is you. So let's talk about you growing up and your background. What was like for the young Kwamar Jr.? Honestly, it was, uh, <laughs> it was, a, it was, it was a really... I had a childhood and I am very thankful that I could say that right now because in the spaces that we're all in, we're, I think we're, a lot of us are realising and coming to grips with that, you know, a lot of things have affected us from childhood. Yeah. And I'm fortunate and thanks to my parents to, you know, giving me you know, a, 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 a pretty good childhood. But that childhood was pretty much stooped in art. It, it was very, it, it was art and culture and history and education. Those were the pillars in my house. And so whether we liked it or not, we <laughs> we was in that, man. You know, my my, my dad started off as a, as a record producer and singer and wanted and tried to do the whole artist thing and went back and forth to New York. Um, and so I got to kind of see a real ground, I had a real grounding in, you know, just the foundations of music and, but most importantly, ambition, drive and going for your goals, but also failure as well. I, I saw collaboration really early would it be my mum who's a fantastic architecture and, and, and painter who was doing my dad's album covers when she was really young and you know designing you know what the studio would look like and doing the tours <laughs> and you know that that real hustle and bustle that I guess my generation kind of prides ourselves on you know I, I got to see see that in, in in real time and yeah watching that and like and also having my aunt around who was Karen Wheeler from Soul to Soul and, and watching those guys you know tour I remember being three or four just sitting at the front of the stage man and just watching them rock out and going I don't know how I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do something like so that. So even you know? at three years old, you were sitting and going, I could do that. Was the, I mean, with music that oh, clearly ingrained in you yeah. from an early age. Yeah. Um, but did you really believe at that point that was it was a reality that you could get, get that? Was it just that thing of, I like that maybe one day? I mean, I had one of those really odd experiences as a child where the moment I became conscious... And I mean, you know, who I was, where I was, my surroundings. I knew I wanted to do music. I mean, I was setting up a band on my bed, and there was only me. There <laughs> was only me in, in the room, and I was getting, you know, I was somehow how I did it. I have no idea, but like I was getting, you know, the old tape recorders, buying blank tapes from the corner shop, and just press and play and record at the same time to just record the vibe. And and you know, I had no idea what I was doing, but I knew I just loved creating. But I also knew that. I didn't want to be the thing in front. I wanted to be the thing that created the thing in front. And and whether that might have been just, you know, from ethos from my parents about, you know, how we control our narratives, how we own, but also how you have longevity in art. You know, I, I guess kind of just, it kind of gave me that lease on life. But funny enough, I actually... Like I hated all my lessons. I hated piano lessons. I hated <laughs> guitar. I hated like everything that we were made to do. I really didn't want to do it. Um, For what reason? I mean, in hindsight, I was just trying to be a kid. 
<laughs> you know, and so that's a fair answer, honestly. And and you know, the, the the thought of having to sit in a piano lesson twice a week for an hour, then go do guitar lessons for like an hour after that, and then also do your studies. I'm like, guys, I just I just I just, I just, I just, want, to, I just want to be outside. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also, you know, what, what happens with age is that you know things click, and you realize actually. You actually want to do this all like all along, you know. My grandma would tell me when I was a, when I was a baby. Even I would just be knocking at things and just touching yeah. things and just trying to just understand my surroundings mm. via sound rather than just asking questions or you know, this, I guess the, the other medium. So I'd like I knew, I knew what I wanted to do. Weirdly enough, from like a like a really really young age. One of the things we talked about off camera was about that journey, about that sense of ownership, 100%. about having that control. I think given the world we live in now within the music business. I think it's a really important topic, particularly for young producers mm-hmm. that, that are coming through that need to know how to handle their business. Yeah. But again, just kind of going back a second, mm-hmm. you talked about Thelonious Monk mm-hmm. and listen to that now. What else was kind of rocking the household so, at that time that kind of influenced you and yeah. got you excited? So it was a lot of Thelonious Monk. My mum was really a, like a massive jazz head okay. and she was a massive funk head. So there was lots of parliament. Love that. There was funkadelic. There was lots of prints in, in in the house, but then at the same time, it was dub, it was drum and bass, it was soca, it was like straight to the point reggae. It was also a lot of soul and R and B. So we've got a lot of Tendi Pendergrass in, in my house, a lot of Stevie Wonder, a lot of Anita Baker. Um, there was like a lot of UK soul. So there's a lot of loose ends. Um, we've got we've got five. We've got Karen Wheeler. Do you know what I mean? And and I think because my parents were really in. Whatever the scene you lot was in back then was so electric, man. Like, there was just so much going on, so many sounds. And they, that was all just played in the house, you yeah. know? And I was exposed to so much of that growing up. At the same time as going to, there was like a predominantly white school. So I have to do choir practice. I've got to do choral mm. practice. I've got, a, I'm, I'm in orchestra, so I'm, I'm, I'm playing the horns or I'm doing um, the rhythm section in the orchestra. And just having to get my head around all of that and blend it all together whilst also being exposed to a lot. And again, this is also now me getting older, but also still being in the house. And now also me bringing some influences into the house where, you know, where we've gone to now, System of a Down, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Kasabian, whatever, like right. I'm in that indie yeah. pocket like crazy, right? And so it's so funny because if you were to walk into my house and you were to listen to the different sounds from even my room, my brother and sister's room, it's like, it's like, oh, this is so the much noise. of sound. Absolutely, but there's a beauty to it at the same time. You know, I wanted to ask you this later on, yeah. but we're here now, so I'm going to ask you it now. And <laughs> yeah. We're sure we'll return to it later. Sure. But how much of that culture, that sound clash, living in the UK, that melting pot, is in what you do today? I'd say all of it, if I'm to be quite blunt. A lot of it, and I wouldn't say there are any main genres. Like, I love this thing so much that because of the kaleidoscope of music that I grew, I grew up around, I can't get away from, you know, adding a bit of folk guitar in an R&B record or, or adding a bit of drum and bass in a soundtrack. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just because it's like, look, these, these are the things that I love. These are the, this is the soundscape that I think works. And actually, guys, these things are a lot more similar than you think. Mm-hmm. But it's also been quite difficult to kind of get that across the line in, in my journey because in this country and... You know, being a, a person of colour who actually, you know, makes music, people like almost typecast you and pigeonhole you really, really quickly. So for a long time, it just had to be, you know, I, I was labelled as oh, too musical or oh, it's, we can't really figure out what direction it's going in or maybe you need to kind of, you know, lessen your sound mm. a bit more so it's a bit more concentrated. And there's merit mm. to that. But there's also a stifling nature that, you know, came with that as I grew because I'm like, well, I'm exposed to all of these sounds and I feel like I'm, I'm a lot bigger than this place that tells me I should be this. Mm. How do we fit mm. that all in? My thing was always, I'm going to kind of put this in no matter what because I can't do anything but be authentic to myself, but also still having faith that, okay, I've seen the lights of Quincy Jones do it, even though that seems super far ahead, but I still, that's, that, that's, that's my benchmark, you know? I see artists like, Prince do it and they go crazy across the board and you know yeah they piss off the business people because they can't pigeonhole them but that's exactly what makes them great right so for me it was it's it's definitely right now in all of my sound and and I'm kind of grateful that you know people can not only digest it but you know appreciate it for what it is it's really interesting you mentioned Quincy you mentioned Prince and some of those great American producers that are are able to work across multi-genres and kind of meld different sounds 
that's never been afforded in the main to UK producers at all. So my question to you is, how deep is that stereotyping of producers in the UK market, do you think, right now, or has been in the past? And second question, Mm -hmm. where did you get the confidence to kind of go, I'm just going to wait for the wheel to turn? Because there is always a sense of a young producer trying to make their mark going, okay, they don't like that, so I'm going to give them this. Yeah, Whereas yeah, yeah. you clearly didn't do that. Oh, no, no, I, listen, I did, but I also failed. Do you know what I mean? But I feel like in terms of the stereotype, I'll be honest, I think it's slightly bigger than music. And then when you zoom out, we can understand the effects of, of, of why that is. But I think it still exists today. I think it still exists because there is still a slight lack of, you know, just awareness that, you know, the others exist and hey, we're not a monolith. And we've been honest, like, England's a small country. We make up 3 to 8% of the population of England. So the majority of England outside of London understands, of course, there are are black people and there are black creatives, but to what extent, I can't really say, but in my experience, it's still through the lens of particular stereotypes, which is, oh, you just like hip-hop, or you just do grime, or you just do drill, or you just do X, Y, and Z, because that's fitting, right? That's that's what you should do, right? And so even in record labels, that, that it's still there. Yeah, it's, it's, the culture's changing slowly and there's a lot more visibility just due to, like I was mentioning to you earlier, just the democratisation of music and the technology in general, but it's still there. Like, I'll still go into meetings with people who probably never heard of me and they're like, oh, so can you give us, like, a, you know, a trappy kind of truly? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah I can, but... But I can, always, I can also do this absolutely. and this and this 100%. and this. And then so I guess to kind of segue on to your second question... I think the confidence definitely came from my parents and my grandparents who were just relentless at just, listen, they will go through hell and high water to make sure <laughs> that, that, their, that their dream or their goal um, is executed, you know, and to the best of their abilities. And I almost have to pay homage to that. But also at the same time, I'm a bit stubborn. So like, I'm not going to... I'm always going to do what I want to do. And yeah, it's got me in trouble, but it's also made me, you know, quite successful in other areas of my life. And... I think in that stubbornness, you know, I've also been fortunate enough to learn patience and within that patience, just do other stuff, you know, just live life, go uni, take a job. And within that time, I really wanted to be that guy and I wanted to be that producer. And as I mentioned before, I I did shrink my sound in order to try and appease what, you know, was wanted and got one or two minor cuts from that. But it wasn't the thing that would, you know, it was more like a splash in the pan as opposed to, oh, this is what this person does and they're a staple producer in this country. So, like, for me, I feel it was a lot of those things that just made me wait because I just knew it wasn't like, I had that unwavering belief of it's going to happen. When it happens, I have no control over that. But it's just going to happen. happen. It's, cause it's just going to happen. And if I didn't have that as my North Star, Lord knows what would be happening. But, you know, that had to be my North Star. It, it just had to be, and even even now, it's like I, I don't. When I say I don't see myself doing anything else, I mean, this is the thing that you know I think I was destined to do, and then now it's about now expanding it for the you know what it looks like for the rest of my life, so to speak. So, yeah, a little bit delusional, but it's the thing that has got me here and is keeping me going. It's been my fuel. What was interesting there was one thing we didn't touch on yeah. earlier on was was education, yeah, and the fact you've been to uni mm-hmm. and you've got your degree, mm-hmm. so. Was there a point during that time where you thought, yeah, my North Star is there, but maybe I'm just going to do this instead? And what was that thing if it wasn't going to be music? Yeah, man. Um, so I didn't want to go to uni. Just like, you know, most creatives who were just like, yeah, yeah I can, I'm going to just do this music thing and solely do this music thing. Okay, I need to stop you there because, no again, for no other reason than from a cultural perspective, <laughs> education is the silver bullet, right? 100%. So, how was that greeted in the household when you kind of go, you know what, I don't know, I might not do this? Um, kind of laughed off, <laughs> as you can imagine. Yeah. Rightly so. Um, what about mum so. and dad? Right, what you know about I mean? mum and dad? 100%. But again, in a slightly unique way, it was also understood right. because they're also artists. Yeah. So they can understand why I wouldn't want to do it. But they also understood, they had the life experience to understand why I needed that, mm. most importantly. So it was understood and, you know, like... In my house, we debate, but we also compromise. Yeah. So it was, all right, go to uni. You, you are going to uni, regardless. <laughs> um, but just see how you feel, you know? And I remember my, my dad used to put it to me as, look, mate, this is just buying time until the thing happens, right? So 
I went to uni for, for a year, absolutely hated it. And I actually went to study music and at the commercial music business and I absolutely hated it. And I was just like, why am I here studying something I'm already doing? Mm. And then at that point I was like, see, I did a year, now I've got an eye to leave. Mm. And, and then like my mum pleaded with me and she was just like, okay, you're, you're right, but just, just, just try it, absolutely. Now we're gonna let you choose whatever uni you want, do what you need to do. And so I, I went to another uni and funnily enough, that sparked so much, you know, curiosity and just learning and just right. ed being educated and actually being slightly different than most of the people that I've met in music from my background or parts of my background. And also how is it going to help when I'm in it and I'm actually doing it? And so I, I ended up studying ethnomusicology and African studies okay. um, at SOAS. And I was like, you know what? I could, this ethnomusicology not only sounds like a really, really good title if you're at dinner. But, um, but yeah. also, in terms of what it does, the access, the life experience, and just how unique the role is, man, is 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 something you can like. I could shine in, and most importantly, I could. I, I'm still in close proximity to music, yeah. but I'm using the other part of me, which is my curiosity, which I, I have so much of, and I'm just digging and learning and then we travel and then you know we speak to you know cultures and sounds that people us even us in the west don't even know yet like that how fantastic in my little mind i'm like yo that's incredible bro okay what these man think this is lit <laughs> <laughs> so yeah there was a point where it was literally i was thinking okay well if this doesn't work and i, had, I hadn't really had any cuts or anything like, like that yet i was go running down to f block every other day trying to get into the rooms and whatnot um, but I was like, yeah, cool. I can I can substitute that dream, or not necessarily give up on Plan A, but expand Plan A into something completely different. It's so funny that I, I I didn't do it because I remember I got a call from Wretch's then manager, going, "Yo, there's a session, and I've been trying to get in the session for years." I'm like, "Yo, there's a session. Do you want to come and do it?" And I'm on the walkway of my uni, and I can either go hand in my coursework or I can go to this session, right? And I'm sat there, and I'm just like just two days ago I was ready to kind of say kind of forget this or forget this part of it because it's not giving what it's supposed mm -hmm. to give and here's my coursework which beforehand I never really did yeah. but I've got it and I'm super proud of it And I'm, but then now I've got this call and I'm like this has to be universe like what am I doing yeah. and lo and behold I went to the session I had to redo the coursework yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but I, he went to the I, session I went to the session I went to the session man and um, after that I was like okay cool and I, I know what I have to do but most importantly you know, I can, I can do both. Yeah. And that was part of the reason why I really wanted to dig into that thing about education, because one of the things I think that young producers, young artists forget is you need to have a backup plan yeah. because it may not work. And the idea of, I've always felt, you know, as a manager and as someone who's looked after artists, that if you have that solidity of something behind you, it gives you the greater confidence, I think, to be yourself when you're doing what you do Absolutely. because you know that failure is failure. But if you fail, you can kind of walk away knowing you've got something really good behind 100%. you that you can move to. 100%. And it means that you're not always trying to appease or trying to be pliable about what you do and not being true to your art. I yeah. mean, do you think, is that a fair comment? And what would you say to those young producers that want to be you or be like you as they're coming through that are 17, 18 now? To your point on a backup plan, I've always, it's interesting and I think maybe this might be a generational thing, but like that's always kind of slightly rubbed me up the wrong way. <laughs> Even now, and it's like, because I've heard my parents say it a million times, yeah. I'm just like, oh, you guys don't believe. But you know what? I think why I'd prefer the language of expanding plan A rather than yep. having a plan yep. B is because I feel like the backup plan kind of slightly suggests that you have failed at that and you're not as good. I mean, that, maybe that's the way I'm taking yeah. it, but when I've spoken to a few yeah. people, that's, you know, how it's kind of felt like it's been interpreted, especially if we're coming from slightly cultural... Like, yeah, no, I, yeah, yeah, and I, I get that. I mean, I suppose it is about semantics. I think you're right. I think yeah. it probably is a generational thing. Yeah, I think yeah. it is about that thing where... And so we talked about some of this stuff off camera earlier on about how people think and what you yeah. need to do yeah, to get yeah. to a certain point. And there was definitely a case of... You know, probably from the conversations that we had with our parents about, I know you want to do that, yeah, but that man may not let you do that. So if he doesn't let you do that, you need to make sure you've got something that's going to going to pay you a wage and it's going to make you be able to pay the bills. So, yeah. That's a survivor's mentality in yeah. that sense. And understandably and rightly so, coming from where we've come from, right? But also one of the things we spoke about off camera was the fact that some of you guys actually did the job. 
you lot actually ended up becoming and getting to a point where you've allowed us this space to have an abundance mindset rather than, you know, I guess, not only scarce, but survival. There has to be an element of survival to it for sure. Of course. But in a sense of kind of going, actually, no, I can double what dad or mum did, you know, and I have the confidence to do that. And if it means that I'm going to go full throttle on plan A, and not necessarily think about plan B, but go through throttle on plan yeah. A, you've afforded me the luxury to do that and I'm going to take that. And so for me, I was like, Listen, I'm going to do it. I've seen it happen. I've seen success from it. I've seen people overcome the craziest obstacles. Why can't I do that? Of course I can do it. Tell us about that big break. I mean, you mentioned F Block. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For those who don't know what F Block is and what it means to the core of the music industry, mm -hmm. explain about F Block, explain about the producers, explain yeah. what it did for you. So F Block is basically evening studios and it's basically just a house of just mad creativity from films to ever. But F-Block in particular was a block of phenomenal producers from top to bottom. I mean, Crazy and Hoax, Naughty Boy, Sunny. You know, for some of the young people listening, like these are people who've done everyone from Emily Sande to Sam Smith to anyone you can name, really and truly. And there was, there was a point where I think... I can't remember the stat, but I saw it years ago, but there was a point where Eflot was producing, I think, a, a big chunk or massive percentage of all the music on radio. And that yeah. was coming strictly from that yeah. space. Yeah. And it's funny because I had an uncle who was in there who was looking after people, I had just people who you've heard about growing up and they're all in the mix. The ecosystem, I guess, was built by this guy called Hank, who was a, yeah, a, a phenomenal guy, incredible, incredible man. Girl. And, you know, I was trying to get into those rooms for years. So any opportunity I could get, I would be down in F block and my aunt and my nan lived in Ealing. So, <laughs> I, so I was like, oh, I'm just going to my aunt. So really, I'm just like, let me just hang out and see who's about, right? And so trying to kind of look at, looking at the lights of Naughty Boys, looking at the other lights and Crazy and Hoax and look at the likes of Mojams and looking at how, you know, just they move and how formidable it was and the people around it. That was the creme de la creme of the music industry at the time or, or production and publishing and all those kind of things at the time and writing. It had everyone coming through their doors, every top writer. You know, you had execs flying in from LA, coming, forget going to, at the time, High Street Ken, they're going down to F Block. Yeah. They're, they're, <laughs> they're sitting in with Mojam, they're going to well, play me something. They're wanting to know what Naughty Boys got going on. Do you know what I mean? They want to hear what Ife's doing and, and this, that, and the third. And what's beautiful is that F Block has had maybe two or three generations of producers who've kind of come through. And, you know, from TSB to J5, you know, and it's created that legacy of producers. So it, it like so it was a real powerhouse, it was a real hub, and it was somewhere that, you know, when I was kind of coming up in this thing, and I still kind of see myself as coming up, but um, when I was coming up in this thing, <laughs> it, 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 it was really, it's just a place you wanted to just be, even if you weren't doing anything, just being around, you might see an Emily Sunday walk past, you might see a Itcher, and you might see a wretch, you might see a da 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 And that, I think, F-Block, alongside, if I'm going to be truthful, alongside with the Chocolate Factory in North London, was also, which is where I got my start. Okay. And, and was a major power, two major powerhouses, yeah. you know? And funny enough, when I couldn't get into F-Block in the way I wanted to, Chocolate Factory was a thing. And I'm a North London boy, innit? So right. for me, I'm like, you know what? Let me rep home. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying, you might think it's lit, yeah. bro. And, um, and, um, I love Chocolate Factory. Those guys over there were great. Incredible. I mean, yeah. You know, I was I was able to walk around the halls and, and guys would give me advice and you had Labyrinth there and you had yeah. Etta Bond and yeah. you had Chris Loco and just Treasure Marie, Jason Kay. I mean, you had history, you had legacy, but you also had the future and you also had people who was pushing the boundaries. I mean, like, Parsec was made next door yeah, to man. me, bro. So if I'm, I'm hearing that through my walls, I'm like, yo, I've got, again, I've got no choice but to yeah. be one of the greatest. Yeah. Like, like, what are we doing here, guys? So seeing that, you know, and and just tapping in and kind of being around these spaces. Like I had the hunger to, to be successful, but also be successful in my own right. Because a lot of these producers were successful in their own right, whether they had broken artists, whether they had just been formidable hit machines, man, where they were just churning them out, whether they were, you know, great execs who just had incredible ears and could make decisions by going, actually that person, that person mm -hmm. needs to be together because they understand the taste level and they make one of the biggest hits yeah. ever, that's ever come out of this country. You know, or a string of hits has ever come out yeah. of this country. So, yeah, that's what those two places are. But specifically, that's what F-Block is. And those two places, they did a lot for me in terms of my mentality and my skill level. 
So what did you learn from being in and around those spaces? What did you take from that which you still kind of hold on to today as good lessons and that you could pass on to the next gen that are watching this now? Honestly, I think the main thing was being a successful producer isn't just about producing at all. It's knowing the business inside out, knowing your business inside out. It's learning about how you deal with people. That's one of the biggest things. I, I would see and sit and watch, you know, how either like Shah or Sonny or Lab would create an environment in the room that didn't have to have anything to do with music, but it was, do these people feel comfortable? Are you creating the space where they can be fully themselves? And then at that point, you can throw as many million ideas around to get to the hit or to get to the thing. For me, that was so crucial because you jump into the music thing, you think, okay, I'll make up some really, really cool tracks and that's about it. And I can send it off and I can send the beat into the door. I can write a song and keep going. Actually, nah, like these guys are successful. Not because the talent is, they can do that in their sleep, but it's their interpersonal skills. It's them making sure that they are very aware of what's going on with their contracts and what percentages are going here, there and everywhere. It's creating the ecosystem around them to make them the powerhouse. And I was like, I said, wow, I, if I don't take that, respectfully, I'll just be a beat maker. And that's, I mean, I play seven instruments, I can't be that. That, that yeah, doesn't make yeah. sense to me. But in order for to cultivate that properly, you have to have all of these other things mm. around you. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd say that's the, that's really the main, one of the main takeaways I still keep to this day, if I'm honest with you, and the, I guess the ability to go, all right, cool, let's make a pop smash. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone loves a pop everyone smash, man. Everyone loves a pop smash, man. Yeah. I love yeah. it. Listen, I love a pop thing. I don't, like, I don't subscribe Same. to all of this. I'm Same. here for it. Let's, let's yeah. go as top 40 in the you, mate. You know what I mean? 100%. I mean, this might seem a crazy question, but how much of what you do is the music? It's a great question, actually. Mm. So in recent years, I think it's now actually 50-50, meaning that a lot of what I do, and I wrote a tweet the other day where I was like, listen, at this space, I can be the main producer, I can be the co-producer, I can be the writer, I can be the co-writer, I can be the ears, I can be the advice, I can be the ingredient but I can also be all those things at the same time. And I've seen that more and more. I get into sessions or, you know, I said I was building this publishing company, so I'm also seeing like a lot of that. And yeah, it's it, a lot of it, honestly, is really 50-50 right now where it's like, yo, people are just happy to have me in the room. I don't have to touch anything. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, all right, cool. I can do the melody to the chorus or we can, I can give you a couple words for the verse or I can build the bridge or I can build the beat and that's fine. But how you got there is because of the conversations we've yeah. had is because of the lunch or the food that I just put you onto or because of the, the tea right. I've just given you yeah. because, you know, you said, oh, I've got a little tummy situation. Yeah. We've got, oh, my mum, did you get it? Yeah. And it's like, and it's that, and it's, and it's the trust that the artist has in me or it's the, the feeling that, that they get. Man, we, as, as a society, like, we're really pained. So if you can come to a, a space where not only you can be soothed, but you can be understood, that goes much further than whatever beat you can make or whatever... Uh, guitar lick you can put down or whatever melody you can run you know it's like yo that person really values you as a human being and that's the core of it in my opinion yeah I mean I think that the one thing that I'm really interested in is that kind of pastoral effect that yeah. you know producers have because it's sometimes it's the un it's the unseen thing in the room yeah, you know yeah. quite often I, and I think that young producers think that as you say let's make let's make a piece of music mm -hmm. someone's going to jump on it mm -hmm. I'm going to have a hit Let's roll on to the next guy. And it's really not that simple anymore. I mean, you know, there is a real duty of care. There's a real, there is that connection. And that's what you're saying yeah. is, is, is key to how you're making your music. Absolutely. I also feel just, I mean, on that point, I, I see a lot of that where there's a lot of younger producers. I mean, I'm so young. I'm young, bro. No, you're young. Trust me, um, you're young. I see a lot of newer producers coming into this all, all inexperienced, but very, very talented coming into this not understanding or having that sense of care. Um, and I think, you know, as much as, you know, earlier I've, I've kind of praised the democratisation of music, I also find because of that, there's an oversaturation. And what that oversaturation does is not allow for the newer producers to get that quality or to understand or to go through those emotions. You know, I mean, yes, of course, when I was coming up, there was technology and, and you know, it was Instagram and stuff like that. But the concentration was still very much on... This producer's hot because they have worked and have done that quality and they've got it. Everyone's going to that person because there's clearly mm. something there bigger than the music, you know? 
Shah created a, a, an environment where, you know, however you look at it, it was an environment that artists bloody loved. Yeah. And, and, and they thrived and they prospered. They thrived in it, man. Yeah. It, was, it, was, it was incredible. Labs did exactly the same yeah. thing. Do you know what I mean? It's like, and yeah, completely different vibes, but vibes nonetheless, environments nonetheless, you know? What was the moment where you got your big break, where you thought, okay, I'm in the game now. I'm, yeah, <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm here. Yeah. yeah. Um, Can you remember that moment? Honestly, yeah, if I'm being if I'm being totally honest with you, and maybe this is just my abundant mindset, but even still, I still don't think I've had that because I'm still plagued by that. When I get my American number one, that's the big thing. And yeah, of course, I understand the need to unlearn that, but that's still a thing in me. But in terms of, maybe I'll slightly change the language, in terms of having, getting notoriety and having a big piece of work, I'd say, truthfully, I would probably say 2018 to 2019, when I started working at Amaray, and then, you know, interestingly enough, the pandemic was looming, and people, in an interesting way, kind of just dived into it and really jumped into the project. The project was, uh, was top 20 on Billboard, and then, you know, Sad Girls then went it's extremely crazy and went mad on TikTok, and all of a sudden, it was like, people were like, oh, you're the guy. <laughs> oh, oh, you <laughs> see <that>? Absolutely. <laughs> so... Yeah, I would, I'd say it starts with Amma and yeah, it's a little cheeky plug because like, it's my artist, but at the same no, time... If you can't pick up yourself, who can you pick up, right? Big facts, yeah. big facts, big facts. Um, so yeah, man, that was, I'd say that was my moments or moments when, yeah, people kind of recognise me properly, you know? This is my peers included. Producing is very much a service industry Absolutely. to a degree. How do you manage that as well as trying to be a creative because there has to be a certain degree of kind of rubbing up. And I know from, from other producers, mm -hmm. particularly when they get to a certain point, they want to be the dominant force in the yeah, room. Yeah, yeah. So how are you managing your ego, in all honesty, mm -hmm. and the feeling that you may want to go in a certain way where the artist may want to go somewhere else? How is that? I mean, it, it's, it's still a daily conflict, if I'm being honest with you. Like, there, you know, there are, there are sessions where I get it wrong. Um, and there are sessions where, you know, I'm quite proud of myself. I'm like, oh, you were able to kind of subdue your ego and allow. Uh, I don't think it's like a one answer to it, but I think for me, I'm always thinking about what, okay, what's the biggest goal here? What's the biggest outcome? And how do we get there? And, you know, being self-aware is also a massive part of that. You have to know when your ego is getting in the way of the goal. And yeah, I mean, as I'm thinking about it, it's still, you know, something which I'm still getting to grips with. But I know one of the main key things that has helped me is just listening, is actually shutting up and, and, and going, you know what, let me try that idea. And I think that's also why I like working with artists and developing them and creating projects because we have the space to make mistakes. Whereas when you're in the one-to-one -one sessions or quick sessions, it's like, you, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so in those sessions, it's like, well, how do I quickly check my ego when I don't agree with that idea mm. or I don't think that idea is great? And sometimes you just have to leave it up to, to I mean, if you don't believe in God, but sometimes you've got to leave it up to God. You've got to kind of just have to be like, well, you know what? All right, if they want to do that so badly, let them do it. Because also, I may not know. Maybe that's actually what it is. There are points where I'm telling myself, like, and this is on daily, like, you know, I like to learn, but there are things I just don't know. So they actually may be showing me something that I'm yet to know. And what, and what that friction is, is really my ego going, oh, you just don't have that knowledge. So you're just going off the basis of what you think is right. But actually you got into music really to continually push the envelope. That person could be doing that. Shut up and listen. So you're talking to a young producer now, mm -hmm. saying, you know, I'm that person. Mm -hmm. What are the three or four things you're saying to them that you should be doing in a session with an artist outside of the music? Yeah, okay. So ask questions. You know, create a comfortable environment for the artist. Experiment. When I say experiment, I mean make mistakes within the session, you know, and, and allow yourself to do that. And I think the fourth one is be confident with your ideas. You know, even if it gets shut down, still put it forward. And yeah, you've got to find the fine line between knowing when to kind of step off and step on. Because also artists, they're, they're also there to learn. And it is this tug of war and this, this, you know, ebb and flow of emotions and ideas. And, you know, if you are confident in what you do, regardless of how the session goes or who the session is, rather, you know, I think it's going to help the other three that I said beforehand come into play. Moving away from Array for just a second, mm -hmm. obviously 
the other one that everyone knows is Stormzy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That comes with a different criteria, a different set of responsibility, mm-hmm. a different set of expectations. So walking into that session, yeah. how does that start for you? You know, you're going and doing fire and water. How, yeah, yeah. Again, what's the first thing you're starting at? I mean... So, yeah, yeah honestly, um, well, the first thing, if I'm being totally honest with you, um, is nerves. Right, because okay. No, that's that. But I think it's good to know because I think man. whatever level you're at, there's always another level above you, right? Absolutely. And I think that that want to have that big or good cut, when it's never going to go, do you know what I'm saying? It's just about how much capacity that takes up of you, right? right. And so I want, obviously I really wanted it. And a little bit of backstory, like I've, I worked with Stormzy when he first came out. We did an Adidas campaign years and years ago. But since then, you know, he's just gone leaps and bounds mm. And just to, due to the nature of things, you know, like certain songs just didn't work and we didn't really work as much as possible. But I'd always really wanted one, both culturally, but also it's Stormzy. So I'm like, oh, it's a big one. It's a big one. So again, I think, and it was, it was you know, again, the Amory stuff kind of helps because it kind of catapulted me into spaces where people could look at more of what I do rather than mm. the, the one or two things. And so I was quite close to this A&R. He was actually kind of one of my mentors, Alec Boateng. And, um, you know, he's kind of constantly mentored me along the way and just kind of right. given me advice, always took a meeting and just, you know, it, yeah. it was great. And so I think at this point, a part of it was like, oh, maybe Kay's ready. So, yeah, they sent me, went to OC Island, which was the first time, yeah. mad crazy. Yeah. My loco studio just on this middle of nowhere, but you're in the middle yeah. of the ocean, but yeah. you're on this island, which uh, yeah. only certain people it's live on. Place. It's, mad, it's a mad place. Yeah. Incredible crazy. place. You're crazy, crazy, weird, but very, yeah. very... <laughs> yeah, like, it's definitely weird. It's, yeah. it's definitely weird. Absolutely. Yeah. And like freaking Lucian Grange flew in the day before oh, really? and stuff yeah. like that. It's just like, wow, all right, cool. Get there. So I see all like my peers and stuff and it's lit and but there's an air mm. of okay you're here let's go do you know what I mean and shout out to like you know Owen Cutts and Progression who really championed me to kind of you know really be there and stuff like that so but it was, I think that was really beautiful because everyone there was you know there was actually no pressure there was an environment created that people could just you know throw paint at the wall and see what sticks and Storms was floating in and out of mm. different rooms you know and at one moment it was me and Jacob Collier the other moment it was me and <laughs> Tendai or it was me and Progression or it was me and you know, someone else or it was just me and Storms. And um, there's a, a wonderful writer and singer called, singer-songwriter, um, called Debbie, who's uh, signed to Def Jam. And her and I, we just, we'd been just working like for about the past year. And she was at the camp and we were just in the room. And again, you know, we know each other, our, our stuff aligns. So we just vibed as we did. And a great guitarist called Jack Shepard, he was also in the room and we were just going round and round and round and just enjoying and... Debbie and I just, you know, I had a sample that I chopped up um, and that, just, that was kind of on loop. And me and Debbie were just going back and forth. And, you know, I just kind of had the word water or pour me water and fire and water and yeah. just down the third. And you know how it is, you kind of yeah. bounce off. And and then Storms walked in the room and was just like, Yo, what the hell is this? And then kind of the rest is history. You know, and then we kind of just fleshed it out and progression came in and fleshed it out. And, and it was one of those really organic moments that, I think everybody really wants in music, you know, especially, and I, but I also had to manage the desperation of wanting to have such a massive cut, which is a, a difficult thing to do, but you, again, is if the, the goal is bigger than the feeling mm. at the time, right? So you, I always have to kind of go back to the North Star and I was like, all right, I need to really tap into me, but also tap into just making, like the environment called for peace, it called for love, it called for truth, it, it, it called for honesty, but it also called for fun and joy and like, listen, we're here, we're all lit, this is great, you know? And these are all things that I, I, like, I resonated with. And so it was kind of really just interesting to, to tap in and feel included, feel at home in a way. Yeah. You know, prior to that, feeling mad nervous because I'm like, Yo, I, just got, I just got to get this. I, by any means necessary, I'm getting this. I mean... As an energy in the room, mm. and I've not, I'm not a writer, I'm not a producer, so I, I don't know, but I would have thought that can't be good because that puts you under real pressure to kind of, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to, to want to deliver. And it's got to be almost claustrophobic from a creative sense, surely, if you're kind of going, I've got to deliver, yeah. I've got to deliver, I've got to, you know. How are you managing that expectation? And, and you know, it was really interesting you used the word a desperation mm, mm, mm. to get that car. I mean, how are you managing yourself in that situation? How are you advising others to manage themselves if they find themselves in a similar situation? Well, I think 
again, having like really, you know, learned parents and, you know, ex experienced people around me has, has kind of helped me realise actually nothing comes from desperation. And so having that, again, so it, I mean, it's, 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 it's the conflict, right? It's like, I have that feeling of like desperation, but then I have the knowledge of going, this don't get you nowhere. So you have to figure out a way to negotiate that feeling so it doesn't come out into the room. Now, whether that's me taking a toilet break and mm -hmm. going, breathe, and then coming back, whether that's just taking just a step away from the song for a second and taking myself back to zero. Because I do this thing where I'm like, cool, I get excited, I get desperate, and, I've got, and then I have to check myself and then bring myself back down in order because the goal requires that. Right. The, guy, the goal is always the, that's the North Star. Yeah. And if you're not doing things in service of that, then, then what are you doing? Everything else is, Everything, negative, exactly, is a negative energy. 100%. And listen, I understand it takes a, a massive level of self-awareness. And, you know, I'm thankful for, for therapy. I'm thankful for my faith. I'm thankful for my parents that have instilled those things where I can, I can, I can be that self-aware, be that emotionally intelligent, where I'm like, I don't need this in the room. Also, I've had sessions where that's come out and it just hasn't. It's never gone well. It's never, ever gone well. Or, and if it has come out, it's been one of those... You know, people can force music out and, you know, it's cool, it's, got, it's a cut, but nothing's happened. Yeah. It's not gone anywhere. No one's really listened to it. It's just a thing. It's a number in the system. And that's come from, there were there were all these ingredients that just weren't good for the broth, man, you know? And, um, <laughs> and so, yeah, so, I, I, so that's, how I, that's, that's how I deal with it. And, and to this day, you know, I, like I said, I still have to deal with it. There, there are bigger sessions that, you know, I've been in where, I felt I've had the imposter syndrome, but I've had to use, you know, just my expertise and just my, my experience to be like, it's okay to feel like this, but let's move like this. I had, I'll give you one example, last year, last year, the year before, I'm a massive fan of Babyface. And yeah, I wanted to get to that because that's, <laughs> that, that's a big one, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I honestly, man, I don't think you understand. Well, to, to that one and Black Panther, like, I don't think I understand. Like, I did things the day before that I've never done, like, to prepare myself for a session before, right? But just, but it was, it was trying to get rid of the nerves. It was like, but it, <laughs> but, but it was coupled with, I have to get this because if I'm not about to go in the room, I've got to, I've got to deliver, yeah. you know? And I believe we have to have that in our backpack where, we, where there is that sense of, okay, I've got to deliver. But that shouldn't override the space and the environment for creativity because ultimately that's what that person's called you in for. Like they're going, oh, you're creative enough and I like your creations. Let's just create together. But there I jump into that session and try to force all of my ideas or try to just do the most and not listen because he would have been like, oh, you're not ready. Yeah. This, 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 this don't work. As opposed to going in and being like, I'm open to anything. What can we do today? And yeah. luckily enough, because of that, he was also, also collaborative. like super collaborative, but also super, super humble, but also very... Like he's still, I'm like you're you're babyface and you're still learning, and you're still. I'm like, okay, then I me I have no choice but to be, you know, even more humble, even more self aware because you with all of your and I walk down. I don't know if you've been to a studio in 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 LA, but it's like a it's like a bloody hall of fame, man. Yeah. Plaques, Grammys on loads of stuff. I mean, it just goes round. I'm sure he's got like another warehouse full of like yeah. bunch of them. It's, it's mad. Do you know it's what I'm mad. saying? And, and I, I, don't, I don't really care if, if if my son doesn't know who Babyface is or my little man. Like this is a, a this is a huge it's, moment, yeah. you know. And he's an icon. He's an I mean, icon. Absolutely. He's one of the and, he, and you're still making massive records to this day. I'm like, my guy, how can we not? And so with that, I was mad nervous. I was. Almost borderline desperate. Where I'm just like, I need to, um, <laughs> I need to get this. But again, being in the room and being like, you know, preparing myself to to be as open and as free as possible, I just allowed them to kind of bounce off of me, man, and and vice versa. And I'm, and that that was not only humbling, but it was also just like a validation of you. You are where you're supposed to be. You know, you're you're going in that direction, and most importantly, you're recognised. How important is that validation for what you do on a personal level? So I have had to, I guess, I've had to make a, a massive distinction between who KZ is and who Kwame is. And that was a very painstaking task. I went through a lot of depressions because of it, but it's so imperative because if I'm constantly tied to the identity of what I do musically, I would have gone mad years ago yeah. because... This is such an unstable space. 
it's such a fluid medium. It's like, bro, it's... <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? It's, 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 no, it's no, like, no, you know, yeah, like know. you absolutely know, and you know what this does to and what it can do to our mental health, both in a in a positive light, but also in a really negative space, absolutely. and how unpredictable all of it can be, you know. But also how, because of the lack of tools a lot of us have within it, how dismissive we can be to those who are going through certain things, yeah. and because I, I had I had gone through a bit of a mental health episode, I had to do that. And if I didn't do that, then I, I don't think I'd be here right now, if I'm just being totally honest with you. And in order to do it, I had to stop music for like a year and a bit because I went through like a really dark time. Um, and the only way to kind of get back to myself and the thing that I loved was actually going, well, who are you outside of this thing? And would you still like who you are? And falling back in love with myself on that side of things was so crucial for everything that has happened right now because it's allowed me to go, all right, cool, I can, after this, I'm going to go have lunch and I have to think about the studio and I have to think about what's, I'm not going to think about what's coming out because I've, I've done my thing for today and all right. And then I can think about what I can do and then I can think about my session on Friday, prep for that, and on the weekend, go see my child and go skating yeah. and just do very normal things. That allows me to feed into this. Yeah. So I've really had to untie myself from the identity of just being solely music because growing up I'm like I was happy for that oh you're, 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 saying, you're, you're the guy da, 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 you play music and like yeah but it's like no who are you and artists are going to gravitate to you as an individual before. even before that <laughs> way before that yeah. a lot of us we can't see that we don't know that we think let's just make the hit, hit hits absolutely but more than that is guys have you ever realised how is Rick Ruba still around like, think, generally zoom yeah. out and just ask, how are these people still around? There is clearly something more than the music. Because I think we know a million people who can possibly do what Rick does technically, or that, well, depending on what that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was just like, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot of people who can do what like a, a lab might do technically, <laughs> but there is, it's the addition to that technicality, it's addition to that skill, you know, and it's the most important thing. Let's talk about, because I'm really keen to get to two huge moments for no, you. No worries, you got to tell me about Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, because yeah. from a cultural and social viewpoint, I mean, as a black British producer, incredible moment, but as black people, yes. a great moment. So let's discuss that first, then we'll go to even bigger heights after <laughs> that, right? <laughs> um, yeah, man, I... <sighs> Like again, just I kind of got to give you know thanks to, to definitely God and, and the universe. But man, I'm telling you, you invest in one artist and you believe in yourself and the artist. The the amount of rap opportunities that come from there is 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 insane. So again, we was in LA working on finishing the Amory album, and we get a call that okay, they want a song for the movie, but they need it like yesterday, and we're just like. Like running around, like, how are we doing this? <laughs> and then, honestly, we didn't even know if we could get it. Then the deadline kind of got pushed. And Ludwig Grasson, he actually, I think, reached out to us personally and was like, like, can you guys come over to Nigeria and just kind of just be in the mix? Dude, literally, and you can ask Ash this, like, it's, I've never been so tired in my life, but I had a meeting in New York scheduled with Tim. And... As Tim Blacksmith. As Tim Blacksmith. You should say right now, for those who don't know. <laughs> um, so I had a meeting in the New York schedule with Tim Blacksmith. But then we had to be in Nigeria literally the next day. But the only way we could get to Nigeria was I could. there was no direct flights from like LA or New York to Nigeria, weirdly enough. But we had to come to London to do that. So and Fly from London from out to London. Literally. So I would say we got the call on the... Let's, let's type it. So we got the call on the Tuesday. I was in Lagos on the Thursday morning. No, that's Wednesday a, night. That's a madness. Thursday morning, Wednesday night. Yeah, yeah, that's a madness. And how we got there, I, I could not even tell you, but straight from the airport to the hotel, small plate of jollof does it quickly. Straight to the <laughs> straight to the studio or to the hotel oh. where we were. Ludwig's there. Bunch of other people are there who are just really, really influential, both you know, within the movie and within Nigeria. Um, Chubbs, Sean, who's incredible incredible, credible connector in, in general. But, um, and again, like I said, for that, it was a similar thing where I was like, I have to get this. And <laughs> yeah, that one, I, yeah, I completely you know get Everyone wants that one, right? 100%. And I'm like, I'm, Lud I'm like, Ludwig's in the room. I'm like, yo, this is, this is kind of crazy, but I can't let the, it's kind of crazy get into my head. Let me do what I've come to do. And man, like, it was just beautiful bouncing off like the co-producer Q, Ludwig himself, 
Amma's there, like we've got some of the team on the phone just throwing ideas over and it's a real super incredible collaborative mm-hmm. effort. But man, and I could, I could, I'm looking to the right mm-hmm. and I'm seeing, look, look at us and like, oh, these things, they're well old machine, they're just going, you know, and the questions, he's like, so why did you choose that sound? Or why did you do that? And I'm like, oh, you've, oh, you fucking with this. You like, you like, you. <laughs> but man, like, honestly, like in the moment, I'm not thinking about anything apart from let's get this record mm. or let's get three or four. And then it actually didn't hit me until I left the session. It was crazy because my flight was again, the, was it Friday or Saturday? One of the two. But I had my massive early flight. So I ended up leaving the session um, just like a, a tiny bit early. I think she was there with the engineer and they, they just cut. But everything been written, everything all that was dope. And nothing really hit me until maybe the next day. And I heard the record back and I was just like, yeah, it's fire. But it came along with, yeah, so this is going to be used for Blah Blah Blah. It's going to be part of the trailer and this, that and the third. And I'm like... I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm sorry, what? And the first thing I did, I remember I called dad and I was like, yo, dad. Da, 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 da. And he's like, yeah. you know, yeah. super congratulations. Yeah. And then true dad fashion, he goes, and you know, you know, the costume designer, she's a really great friend of mine, you know. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I should, you should, you should introduce yourself to her. And blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but, um, sounds man, like that. It sounds like that. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Literally. Uh, but honestly, man, I, I honestly say like in the moment, I was just, I felt like I was on autopilot because I just had the goal in mind, which was like, yo, we have to get this. Like, these opportunities aren't coming at random. They're coming because not only have you done the work, but, you know, what you invest in is and has paid off. And now, don't make it look like a fluke. Do it again and again and again. Apply the same tools and the same rules. Do it again and again and again. And, um, man, I, honestly, I think that that session was one of the probably bigger sessions where I could really look at all of the tools that I've, I've you know what I'm saying, I gathered and applied and we got the result. And I was super happy about it, man. Like, I was, yeah, when we found out, I was... Proud moment, man. Very, very proud moment. I remember getting a call from my son some months ago going, Dad, I'm thinking about going to the BAFTAs. And I was like, why? why? <laughs> and he said, well, KG's up for a BAFTA. And I was like, okay, this is Jeez, big. Yeah. And... Not only were you up for the BAFTA, you did something that I don't think any other black British music producer has done. You won. Yeah, man. First of all, we have to say congratulations because it's an incredible moment. I'm immensely happy for you. Immensely happy for my son. I can't yeah, tell you. Of course, as well. bro. <laughs> um, but let's talk about mood and let's talk about, you know, there's a massive journey to get to yeah. stand on the stage and holding that trophy in your hand. Mm-hmm. What happens when you get that phone call? Well, which one? Well, the one for Mood. How does that start? How do you kind of... So, again, being in a space where... And it's so Mm. funny because, like, I'm really trying to get into soundtracking and scoring Mm. properly, but really pushing the envelope of that. And, you know, prior to that, I'd done little bits of work, you know, on Top Boy. I'd done some stuff on on Fast and Furious 5. I did some bits on... I've done adverts. You know, I did an ad advert that ended up going viral or not. And, um... Yeah, I've, I've done bits, but to really get into that space was really, really difficult. And, and getting that phone call or getting that email, should I say, yeah. was even at a point where I was just like, what the hell am I doing next? And interestingly enough, the pandemic was what was about to come. So it was just like, <clears throat> whoa. So yeah, so I get the email and they were just like, hey, we've got this really, really interesting writer, actress, producer who is writing the show about the music industry and sex trafficking. Um, we'd love to come, your name's been brought up a couple of times, we'd love to come in and speak to you about it. I'm like, admittedly, I'm like, I'll take it, let's go, whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how right. much you pay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm like, let's go. And then Ed Bailey from Leland Music ended up coming down. Yeah, yeah. He's an like, incredible music supervisor. Yeah. And just his demeanor and the fact that it was a music creator, but also was able to have, he was multidisciplinary, where he was able to have, be a music supervisor, but also like make music. And, you know, he comes from that world, but also comes from publishing. And so he's he's got a really extensive knowledge about, you know, dub and reggae and a bunch of other genres, which I'm like, I, I already took to him and I was just like, oh, you're, like, you're super yeah. dope. And he explained to me the story and he explained to me what she was doing. And I'm a massive fan of people of just multifaceted talents, you know what I'm saying? People who like polymath, people who can just do more more things than one and do it and defy what, 
you know, society or the industry has, you know, tried to compartmentalise them into. So he told me about this girl, and I was just like, this sounds insane, you know, this sounds like what my nan did when she came over, when she just had to teach and work at the hospital and child mind and bloody blah, but all did it in an incredible way, earned great money off it and bloody blah, blah. And then her and I met after that, and we met in a small burger joint in Kentish Town, actually, um, with Abby Leland, who's the head of Leland yeah, Music. Abby, yeah, Abby, phenomenal, man. Hey, listen, everyone will know Leland Music, well, a lot of because of the John Lewis advert every yes, year. Yes, of course, of course. But again, even just drawing back, the reason why they have that is because they really understand. Yeah, they're incredible. They really get it, and, they're, and they've really done it, you know? Yeah. They've got their hands dirty. Yeah. Like, I've, I've got so much respect and love for those guys. But, um... I was somewhat unapologetically myself and she was also unapologetically herself to the point where she was super honest. She was like, yeah, we've met other people and, you know, we're just going to see. And I'm like, I, 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 I rate that. I rate that, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And again, I think it was that thing we spoke about, about, you know, just being real, but also being interpersonal. Mm. On top of the fact that I would be lying if I didn't say, you know, having dad I had didn't help that and I don't mean that in a nepotism sort of way I mean that in the fact that because I was raised around TV I was raised around theatre I was raised around musicals and these are things that yes I didn't go into directly but like I know them I've sat in writing rooms do you know what I'm saying I've seen composers build musicals from the ground up Mm -hmm. because I got excluded from school so I had to sit in the, the room or I just I was sick that's that day the, that's the realness right the, there well, that is the realness <laughs> of the real man or I'm saying or the fact that like you know dad was a busy man but he still needs to make sure he's, he spent time with kids so yeah. it's like hey you're coming with me to here so I'm going here there and everywhere and I'm just learning I'm soaking everything in via osmosis and it's like yo this is clearly handy and so with that I spoke a language that I don't think anyone else that she'd met had kind of spoke she took a risk on me, man. And I'd never done anything like this before, but I was really, really, really determined to do it. And she believed in me and I believed in her. And there's so many points of just us learning so many different disciplines. Because also this is a musical, right? So she doesn't come from a musical background. So I'm having to teach her and coach her yeah. and into, into certain places. And she's going with other people and picking up different, you know, ingredients and whatnot. But And at the same time, I've never done this. So she's having to teach me about like, you know, dramaturg and, and how we actually right for picture and how the narrative or cues with the music have to be kind of specific to certain parts and i mean it, it was it was a phenomenal um experience because it, it expanded me you know it expanded her and i was learning just different processes and that was the big thing it was like yo this is a completely different process but this process is also very incredible man i've never had an experience like that and you know it's stuff that i'm doing a, a lot more of these days but once we'd made all of the records and most of them, um, you know, it was then about then how are we creating incidental music, you know, how are we creating the transitions and, and who are we bringing in to kind of help with that. And that was, again, another learning curve because I'm, I'm able to learn from Brian and, and see how he, you know, pieces together, you know, your, your, I guess your typical school, but then how we're blending that with, you know, all of the ingredients that, you know, we've brought into the music and really composing as opposed to producing. And so with that, man, it was like, it was a brilliant trade-off because they were getting what they saw as, you know, contemporary, <laughs> modern, up-tempo, really cool vibes for a show, I guess, that had, you know, the makings of something really new, a breath of fresh air, you know, with a woman who wanted to really push the envelope because you're giving how much money to a woman of colour during a pandemic to make a yeah. show about music and sex mm-hmm. trafficking where she's also the main protagonist and she's the, the writer and she's the director and, you know, it's like... It's, it's big, response, and it's, it's, it's response, massive responsibility. And it didn't come about its problems, but my God, the way she handled it, again, it was just inspiration after inspiration. Because I'm like, yeah, you're not taking no for an answer with this, and yeah. I love that, because this is your show, yeah. and this is your thing, and this is your vision. Yeah. And you know, what's also really dope about that is that I've got that in me. Let me, let me back you up on that. I'll be real, well, he had no idea what, where this show was supposed to go, do you know what I mean? And, you know, during a pandemic, you can, you can imagine the amount of start and stops that Yeah, happened, of course, man. yeah. You know, and just her unwavering self-belief also just allowed me to also have even more unwavering self-belief and just the confidence that, you know, I was able to have. Plus, it was pretty good to have a bit of a job during the pandemic, I won't lie to you. Listen, man. it's always, that, that was, it was a tough time it there was. for a few of us, but, you know, to know that you had that thing coming in was great. Honestly, and I could, you know, work out of the house and just <laughs> yeah. be in my environment and be comfortable in it. Man, it, it was like, I really want to work at that a lot more. And... 
So that you know, there was of course that when you're working in TV, you know there there are goals. Everybody wants mm. a, a BAFTA or wants to try go for an Emmy or whatever it, it might be at the time. But I think with this show, it was just she really wanted to just put out something new that she hadn't seen before. And the moment they call your name and you're a winner, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, uh, it's it's one of the it's, honestly like. I, I didn't think we was going to win. I was just, I was even happy to just be nominated. I was like, yeah, cool, fine, great. Yeah. Like, we were all just really, really baffed. But, excuse the pun. But, no, like, yeah, so, right. at the same time, man, again, there was, like, an overflow of emotion kind of come over me. I was just like, that feeling of, oh, you've stepped into another level now. This is incredible. But mixed with an air of, I don't think anyone else has done this before. In, insane. Mixed with an air of everyone in here knows your dad and they all see you and all looking at you and they're like, what do they think? They might be confused because they're just like, how? And then one interesting thing happened after we got up on stage, right? We won, I said the speech, I was still very baffed. I was like, yo, this is, this is insane. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But every person of colour came up and shook my hand and gave me that, that look they almost given me now. They gave me that look of, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just like, Whoa, okay. No pressure, but pressure. It's really interesting because that look is not just pressure, but no pressure. Yeah. But it's also about the fact that, you know what, you've done it. It's not just for you, yeah. but, you know, everybody has a little piece of that BAFTA because they're super proud of what you've achieved, but yeah. also about what it means and where the journey goes next because yeah. it's really, and I'm sure you've realised this, but, you know, you picking up the thing up and winning it mm -hmm. has opened the door. It's opened the door for Absolutely. the next man. It's given, when those Absolutely. guys sit in the room, those execs and kind of go, okay, we need the composer to do this program. Suddenly, the net is going to be much wider than it has been previously because of what you've done. Do you, Brother, I'm does that realisation there? Will... Absolutely. And I'm seeing it already to the point, thankfully, off the back of it, I've got like, you know, quite a bit of work mm -hmm. off of it. But at the same time, I'm, I'm also hearing that, you know, some of my peers who I also know are equally, if not more, deserving and talented of this are getting they, they're into scoring or they've been reached out by yes. a, by an A24 or or a, a BBC or a Netflix to kind of you know tap in to kind of what's going on culturally and put that into score you know like the, what the pandemic did was you know it showed us how much content everyone's consuming mm -hmm. but how much multimedia everyone's consuming right and with that people want to see and hear themselves reflected in these stories it's not just seeing but it's going oh this scene works with this song because naturally that person would either be in that environment or it's really reflective of who they are. Oh, I just relate to it and I like mm. that. And, and that song makes me feel like X, Y, and Z, you know? And so that I've seen so many of them, whether it be from, you know, Mellow Z to Swindle to, to whoever's coming in and, you know, getting these jobs. And, and I love it because this all contributes to the bigger goal, which is going, guys, we're not a monolith here. We're not just one thing in this country anyway. Yeah, we can absolutely do a dig a D and T on Wayne, but then go and score a Bridgerton or a Downton Abbey or come and do a Mood and then do a, a Stormzy or whoever. It can all be done and it can all be done well and it can all be done by us. That last part, I think, is absolutely crucial about mm. the fact that, you know, there is a different sense of society and a different sense of Britishness about, yeah. about black people yeah. right now and how much... Are you seeing that being embraced culturally and socially and also recognised and, for want of a better word, used within the context of creativity, mm -hmm. particularly in, in your field of production? Because Absolutely. you said earlier on that sometimes you've, you do feel restricted and stereotyped because of a look and a sound. Mm -hmm. you, do you feel that the gates are open and the arms are more accepting of people trying to do something a little bit different or what they would expect them to be mm. or deliver? I, I don't know if the gates have widened. I just think... I just don't think we care anymore. We're just knocking it down regardless. If I'm being totally honest with you, I, I, I feel it's like, guys, we're going to do it because we can and we have the mediums and the platforms to at least, you know, springboard us into these positions. So it's going to happen. Like, we're going to be here whether you like it or not and we're going to produce quality. I'm, we're, no, we're no longer going to sit in these pigeonholes and just wait for something to be brought to us. Like, it's... If you're down to open the gates, absolutely let's go and collaborate but for the most part and you even said it I think even off camera there's like there's now a hundred of us behind me mm. so we're coming regardless you know so yeah that's, uh, 
I think it's been widened slightly. I don't know if that's been, it's widened because, you know, someone has had, you know, some great morale and therefore they're like, oh, we should, you know, make it more accessible or you just have to move with the times and you and you have to, <clears throat> by force, get it done. So either way, like, we're here regardless, you know. Kaze, I've got to say, I mean, it's been a sparkling conversation. The one Thank thing you, I, I need to ask you before we wrap up is, what's next? Where do you see it all going? Honestly, my, I, I see myself still getting my hands dirty. You know, I, I think I'm so in love with this thing and this process and, you know, these sounds that it's something I'm, I'm going to do for the rest of my life. But one of the things I can speak on moving forward, you know, there's a few other initiatives going yeah. on that I'm going to keep to myself, you know, is providing opportunities for, you know, producers like writers like myself and other artists to get into and to get access to spaces within television and film that they otherwise wouldn't because, you know, they there isn't anyone to either be a bridge or a catalyst into that. And, you know, part of my publishing company, which you know, I'm running with your bro, yeah. your son rather, is one of the biggest aims for that, as well as trying to create and think about alternative forms of recruitment, whether that be in Web3 or NFT, as well as still doing your right. your standard songwriting yeah. and, and, yeah, and recording. And yeah, Absolutely. Roles, right. 100%. So, um, yeah, that's, that's the, one of the main things that are next. And, yeah, just being a... A clog in the wheel in this massive industry, man. Well, you know what, your cog is growing ever greater, my friend. Listen, congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for being a first. Thank you for being a pioneer. I mean, not only are you doing what you're doing, but you've won a BAFTA, man, and that is an incredible achievement. There's been a long lineage of great black producers over the years. I mean, you know, our journey in this country has been a long one. It's well storied. We've made enormous contributions to society, to politics, to culture. Yeah. You're just another person that is carrying on and carrying the torch and taking it further down the road. So from one generation to the next, okay. thank you. Thank Long you. Long may man. continue. Absolutely. KZ, bless you for being a part of this Google thank series you. and you know, all good luck. Absolutely. For Can the I also just say as well, thank you for also being a pioneer, just you and your generation, like you. from you to dad to Tim to Aunt Karen, to all of you guys, like, it really was because of you guys. And and we don't give the flowers enough to the older generation because we think that we've done it the first time, but actually we do stand on the shoulders of giants and you have done such incredible work, man. Thank you for everything you've done, bless you, and let me throw that back at you (laughs) and say that the joy we get, it's this. It's these conversations. It's seeing those successes. It's seeing what is possible. Yeah, it's true. And we're out. I'm Adrian Sykes, and this has been Union Black the black British producers behind global albums in association with Google. My thanks to Danny D, partner and true pioneer, to Engin Hassan, our producer, and to Yao Wusu and Shonsel McCallum at Google. To check out and discover more stories from Union Black, please go to Google Arts and Culture at artsandculture.google.com and share and let us know your thoughts using the hashtag Union Black. This has been Union Black, the black British producers behind global albums. Thank you for listening.